This EHAV Review Podcast is presented by TKP Med Radio. Sometimes getting people to get tested can feel hard. And the way I approach it is by just normalizing HIV testing. And I say HIV testing is part of a routine care in addition to STI screening. Sometimes I might also say it's recommended that everyone gets tested between ages 13 and 64 if someone's never been tested for HIV before. Most importantly, no written consent for HIV testing is needed and oral consent is good enough. Expanding HIV testing and treatment. Welcome to EHIV Review. HIV testing. We know it's the first step in reducing infection and transmission, and we know that there are some individuals who continue to remain untested. How do we identify them? What's the most appropriate test to use? What should we do when we encounter testing resistance? That's what we're here to talk about today with Dr. Cedric Biengund from the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Pennsylvania. For Dr. Biengund's disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, ehivreview.org, and click on the Volume 5, Issue 10 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of EHIV Review. Dr. Bien Gund, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Our first learning objective, doctor, is to evaluate different HIV testing options. So take us to the clinic, if you would, please, and start us out with a patient scenario. Sure. So let's say we're seeing an 18-year-old male adolescent who's coming into your clinic for the first time. He states that one of his male partners tested positive for gonorrhea, and he is told to go into clinic, even though he has no symptoms. An 18-year-old MSM comes to clinic to check for an STD. What's the first thing you do? So I would start this clinic visit by asking a thorough yet concise sexual history where we'd ask about sexual partners, sexual practices, and any symptoms the patient has. Next, I'd also want to see if there's any risk for acute HIV infection. I'd also ask him about any prior sexually transmitted infections or HIV testing that he's had. And finally, I would just say that he needs to be empirically treated for gonorrhea. One of the goals of this clinic visit is to get this 18-year-old to agree to HIV testing. We know that can be problematic. Absolutely. So what's your approach when patients are resistant? Sometimes getting people to get tested can feel hard. And the way I approach it is by just normalizing HIV testing. And I say HIV testing is part of a routine care in addition to STI screening. Depending on risk factors, I might also recommend what we call three-site testing, in which we test the anorectal area, pharyngeal area, and urethral or first void urine for gonorrhea and chlamydia, in addition to syphilis testing. Sometimes I might also say it's recommended that everyone gets tested between ages 13 and 64 if someone's never been tested for HIV before. Most importantly, no written consent for HIV testing is needed, and oral consent is good enough. What kinds of testing are available, and what do you typically recommend? So typically, I would recommend a standard fourth-generation HIV-1 and 2 antigen-antibody test which has a smaller window period and can pick up any infection after about three to four weeks. This is considered standard of care. Turnaround time depends on labs, but in most healthcare settings, it's within 24 to 48 hours. However, the confirmatory differentiation assay may take longer and still has a window period in which an acute infection may be missed. Therefore, if I am concerned about an acute infection, I will also check an HIV viral load, 
which will pick up acute infections before the HIV confirmatory test turns positive. This test has not been FDA approved for HIV diagnosis, but is widely available and turnaround time is generally shorter than a confirmatory test. If it's positive, it will also contribute to immediate clinical decision-making about starting antiretroviral therapy. These are blood tests, is that correct? That's right. So what do you do in a situation where a patient does not consent to have blood drawn, or, or for that matter, for whatever reason, you can't obtain blood? So if I'm in a setting where we cannot obtain blood, or if a patient has low risk for acute infections and does not want to have their blood drawn, there are a couple other options. I can offer a rapid test that just requires an oral swab or a dried blood spot that just requires a pinprick if this is available. These tests can provide results within 15 minutes. However, you have to discuss that oral swabs are limited and may not pick up recent infections and typically have a window period of up to three months. In addition, most dried blood spot tests also do not pick up acute infections. Therefore, these tests should not be used if there is a suspicion for an acute infection. Now, what you do after the testing, now that depends, of course, on what those testing results show. Talk to us about that, if you would, please. The after-test counseling is critical. If he tests negative, I would discuss further prevention modalities, such as condom use and pre-exposure prophylaxis. Of course, if he tests positive, he needs to be linked to care as soon as possible for consideration of treatment. Well, thank you, doctor. Let's wrap up this first case by reviewing how our learning objective has been addressed. So, evaluating the different HIV testing options. What are the key things our listeners need to know? The first is that a fourth-generation HIV-1-2 antigen-antibody test remains the standard-of-care HIV test. Secondly, if there is any concern for an acute infection, providers should very strongly consider ordering an HIV viral load test. Thirdly, HIV self-testing kits using oral or dried blood spot specimens are also available. Dried blood spot specimens require laboratory processing or mailing in specimens, and not all of them can detect acute infections. Oral swab tests, on the other hand, detect antibodies only and cannot detect acute infections at all. Self-testing strategies are increasingly utilized and can leverage rapid point-of-care HIV testing and decentralize the testing process further. Thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Cedric Biengun from the University of Pennsylvania in just a moment. COVID-19. Some people have said it's changed everything. But one thing that hasn't changed is our need to get timely and, most importantly, accurate information. That's why we created our COVID-19 Keeping Up with a Moving Target program. It's a weekly webinar and podcast series hosted by Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. It's updated information from the front lines of COVID-19 research and practice. And it's answers from the experts to your most important questions. COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target, is CME and CE accredited and provided free of charge. For more information, go to covid19.bkbmed.com. Thank you, and please stay safe. Welcome back to this EHIV Review Podcast. We've been speaking with Dr. Cedric Mien-Gunn from the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Pennsylvania about the different HIV testing options. Now let's turn to our next learning objective, explain the potential benefits and limitations of HIV self-testing strategies. So once again, if you would please, Dr. Biengund, take us to the clinic. Your patient is a 30-year-old man who has sex with men 
who has previously been taking pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, but stopped because he was no longer sexually active. He's now in a new relationship with a new man, but doesn't know his partner's HIV status, as his partner has never been tested for HIV. And your approach to this patient? So similar to the first case, the most important objective is to obtain a concise yet thorough sexual history. Again, it's important to assess his partner's status and his potential risk for acute HIV infection. In most cases, if he's at average risk for HIV infection and there's no risk for an acute infection, in addition to repeating an HIV test, I think that it would be reasonable to restart PrEP at that visit. Repeating his HIV test. How often should that happen, and which tests would you be using? So this patient should be tested at least every three months while on PrEP. Again, the standard of care is a fourth-generation HIV antigen antibody test. Unless I have a compelling reason to use another test, such as concern for an acute infection, I recommend using this test. PrEP is beyond the scope of this review, but it should be noted there are ongoing studies examining home-based self-testing to support persistence on PrEP. If he does discontinue PrEP but does continue to have ongoing risk factors for HIV acquisition, I would do quarterly testing every three months. Okay, his partner. Uh, Aside from assessing his risk, uh, shouldn't he also be tested? Absolutely. I would strongly encourage the patient to discuss with his partner getting tested, especially since this partner has never been tested. What if the partner refuses to be tested? Uh, What would your strategy be then? If his partner is extremely reluctant to get tested, one potential option is to offer home testing to his partner or partner testing. This social network distribution of HIV testing has been shown to be feasible and also helped identify new HIV infections. On the other hand, you would also have to discuss limitations with using a self-testing kit for his partner, such as not being able to pick up acute infections and not being able to link to care afterwards. However, if going to a testing facility is a significant barrier to obtaining an HIV test, self-testing would be a reasonable option. I want to ask you about the home test kits for point-of-sex testing. They've gained a certain amount of popularity as well as a certain amount of notoriety. So, point-of-sex testing, could it be appropriate for this patient and, and whatever future partners he might have? What's your advice? I would advise against using point-of-sex HIV testing, given that rapid tests do not pick up acute HIV when the risk of HIV acquisition is highest. Another concern is that home-based testing may not have adequate linkage to care. This patient plans to initiate PrEP, which has been proven to be effective at reducing his risk of HIV. So, all in all... At the end of the day, the most important thing is that this patient gets a repeat HIV test and that his partner gets tested for the first time. Thank you for bringing us this case in discussion, Dr. Biengund. I'm going to get a little tricky and switch gears on you now, because I want to get your opinion on the future of HIV testing. So with the ongoing research and the continuing public education and outreach, what do you see happening in the near future, Doctor? I think there's an increasing attention to complementary, non-clinic-based testing strategies, such as self-testing and partner testing, which we discussed. There's also potentially new rapid HIV testing that can pick up acute infections. Furthermore, ongoing studies are being conducted to evaluate whether self-testing can be used to monitor patients on PrEP. In addition, there's also ongoing implementation research. We need to answer questions such as, how can we best implement expanded HIV testing targeting key populations? How do we chip away at never testers? How do we get people who have never tested before to test for the first time? 
how do we implement linkage to care after negative test and how do we get patients onto pre-exposure prophylaxis after they've tested negative? Those are some key questions, Dr. Biengund, and I want to thank you for highlighting them for us. What I'd like to do now is wrap up our discussion by revisiting our second learning objective. Explain the potential benefits and limitations of HIV self-testing strategies. What are the key things our listeners should take away from our talk? So self-testing appears to be effective in reaching individuals who have never been tested before, which is a key public health priority. Secondly, self-testing also increases testing frequency and when brought to scale can increase the number of new HIV diagnoses. In addition, secondary distribution of HIV testing in which a patient gives their partners testing kits is another promising strategy to further increase HIV testing. However, at this time, most home-based self-testing is limited to antibody-only testing, meaning it can miss acute infections. Therefore, point-of-sex testing should not be recommended. Dr. Cedric Biengund from the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Pennsylvania, thank you for joining us for this EHIV Review Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking with you. For EHIV Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ehiv.dkvmed.com. EHIV Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated and Vive Healthcare. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. EHIV Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKP Med LLC. Thank you for listening.